This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarvey. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach, and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. So with us today, I am thrilled to have Alyssa Krupp. Uh, I've come to know Alyssa by way of several kind of common acquaintances. So she's here. She started her career at Comedy Central, of all places, then took her first role in sales at Wedding Wire, where she eventually had her first go as a sales leader. She then spent a few years in tech sales leadership roles, finishing up at Electric before starting her own coaching and consulting company known as the Castlo Group. Uh, I know she's going to tell us more about that as we get into the conversation. So welcome, Alyssa Kropp, to the show. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, Matt. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in. Uh, I've, I've got some questions for you, and I know you've, you've, you're very, a very thoughtful sales leader, and you're doing some coaching and leadership development work yourself, working with others. So we're just going to dive in. Talk to me about what is the most important lesson that you've learned so far about leading? You can answer it about leading a sales team or about leading people in general, but what's the most important lesson you've learned so far? I love that question, Matt. I, as you mentioned kind of in my intro there, I've been leading sales teams for over a decade now. And I this quote from Simon Sinek from his uh, Leaders Eat Last book always resonates with me. And he says, the true price of leadership is the willingness to place the needs of others above your own. Great leaders truly care about those they're privileged to lead and understand that the true cost of leadership comes at the expense of self-interest. And I think once I learned that, right, that leadership is all more about those you lead, you work for them, not the other way around. Once I learned that, everything kind of clicked into place for me. I thought that was so powerful. When did it click? So you read Sinek's book. But had you did you already kind of thought about leading that way before and then it clicked when you read it? Or was it, wow, that's it. Now I have to apply. When do you think you, you learned that? That had always been the lens by which I viewed leadership. I always took this servanthood mentality of truly caring about those who reported to me, what drove them. I always thought of them as people before they were employees of mine. And I always cared more about what they could contribute as a whole rather than just the deliverables. And then when I read that, I was like, okay, that's putting into words what I've always thought makes me a great leader. And that was the thing, right? I always led these overperforming teams and I never really knew what it was that set me aside from, from other leaders. And I do believe it's this ability to get the best out of those who report to me because I care so deeply about them as a whole their development, about being kind to them, but yet firm and setting proper boundaries and doing those things that are difficult as a leader sometimes, but knowing that they're all in the interest of your direct reports. 
I think that's something that really stuck for me. Yeah, look, and I, I think that there's a reason that book like Synax and others, why they resonate so much with us is they validate things that we've learned or know to be true from our own experiences, right? So that's great. As an aside, you, you know, willing the good of others, for those who've read my latest book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, we, you know, one of the, one of the virtues that great leaders demonstrate is goodwill, willing the good of the other. Loving for is another word, sort of synonymous with that, right? So, uh, which I think lines up perfectly with something you said about your style. So I, I gather, I can sense that you love the job, of the love, you love leading people and you love teaching others to lead effectively. What do you love most about whether it's being the leader yourself or functioning today as a, as a coach of leaders based on your experience? What do, you, what do you love most about it? I always loved seeing other people rise to the top. I think when you're a leader and you're there to see your own star rise to the top, you're in the wrong profession. But if you can be truly motivated by seeing others, and maybe that's promotions for them into leadership or management, but maybe it's also just coaching them and then they move up on the leaderboard. Or there are so many different ways that you can see people rise to the top. And that was something that hands down as I look back at and all the leadership roles that I had, I loved seeing other people succeed. Why, why do you think that is? Why? Why? Let's dig into that. Like, what's behind that? I took a really invested interest in everyone who's ever reported to me into figuring out where they wanted to go, what drives them, even if it wasn't a place on my team, right? It does me more good to actually move you off into something that you love doing than it does to have you stay on my team and just be kind of apathetic about it, right? And so it almost made me feel like I was accomplishing something because I knew that I really played a role in getting those people to where they were, whether that was a promotion, whether that was coaching them on their sales skills and moving them up the leaderboard or getting them off my team and getting them into one of my direct reports now has an interior design business out of Florida. Like whatever they want to do that they're, that's their passion, helping them have that come into focus a little bit more was something I always really enjoyed doing. And part of the reason that I moved into coaching because getting rid of those blocks that are standing in your way and allowing people to achieve their full potential is what I get to do all day, every day now. And that was my favorite part of leadership. And so if others, I think, can just cultivate that in their leader, in their direct reports, goodness, you'll have a team that'll run through walls for you. And to your point, and I can relate to the point you made about like the the joy that you take from seeing others develop, seeing their stars rise, I think you said earlier, right? It's uh, totally can relate to it, whether it was as a sales leader or a coach today like I am too, right? It's, it's developing people. I think the trade-off there is there are a lot of aspects of sales leadership that can they say they kind of suck, like the administrative stuff and the and the you know dealing with performance issues and performance management yeah. and and getting down into some of the less pleasant aspects of the job. And that if you're not devoting time to development, you're probably depriving yourself of the thing that is the most rewarding aspect of the job in the first place. No wonder people don't last very long in this job, right? 100%. I mean, how many one-on-ones are just more of a status check on your deals, 
right? Or some, how are things going? Or rather than actually developmental conversations or helping somebody improve in certain skills or getting them where they want to be and removing things that might be standing in the way of them doing that. That is such a huge part of the job. It's not just a health check on your on your pipeline or forecasting up to the higher leadership roles. You know, it's truly developing the people who work for you. And it goes back to something I was saying earlier of these people are not just account executives on your team or customer success managers or account managers, whatever it might be. They're people with real goals and real ambitions that are so far above and beyond just meeting a sales quota. And once you as a leader can unlock that and figure that out, then you're not just motivating them. You're not just pushing them. You're inspiring them and you're pulling them towards something now. Yep. Yep. Now, there's a common theme or thread and something you've said that I've heard from other people in prior episodes and episodes that will be, that are yet to be published. And it is about that, the, the payoff of developing others, like the feeling and how that ultimately is the thing that motivates a lot of great leaders to do what they do. It's like, I, that's what I'm in it for. I could make more money doing something else, but it's not about the money anymore. In fact, a lot of us, we move into sales leadership roles. Like, wait a minute. I was making more I was making doing way, a job. I had way more control. Yeah. And it seemed a lot simpler. Boy, I'm not sure. But, but then you experience what it's like to help somebody grow and seeing them succeed. And it's like, oh, okay. Now, got it. Right. Now, not everybody gets that, of course. And that's why, it, you know, the job is not for everyone. And let's face it, there are, like I said, there are a lot of challenges in this role that we all have to overcome. And every, every environment has its own challenges. What have you found to be the most challenging part of leading people? And, and what have you done about it? Early on, I found it really difficult to relinquish control in that what you kind of just spoke about there too, in that move from individual contributor to leader, where when you're an individual contributor, you can sometimes make a lot more money than leadership. A lot is within your control. It's just whether you hit goal or you don't, falls on your shoulders. And moving into leadership and relinquishing that control was really difficult for me. I constantly jumped in and did things for my reps or led the calls for them. I Typical things with, I think, leaders who have a rep mentality still that oftentimes do. And I coach a lot of first-time leaders. And that is a common theme that I hear constantly among them. So relinquishing control was really, really tough. And then on top of that, I had a difficult time in maintaining this calm and this groundedness in stressful times among myself and to the to my peers. I was often very good at it to my direct reports, that duck analogy where the, you're calm above water, but underneath your legs are just going nonstop. But I had to do a lot of work in maintaining a calm, collected, grounded, secure, consistent persona in really stressful times. How'd you do that? Was it just your conscious of the presence of what you're projecting to people or what? what is there more to it? That, that was certainly it. It's just really realizing how I was showing up, of, of course, in just seeing this mentality almost of thinking like, goodness gracious, I, I get 
so flustered, so overwhelmed a lot when things are outside of my control. And to take a step back and to say, okay, things are not always going to be in your control. What are some different ways that you can reframe these? How emotionally reactive am I being to this? Is it proper reaction to have to this situation? Are there other ways that I can view the situation? All of those questions started going through my mind. I often say, especially with my coaching clients, you can't often choose your first thought, but you can always choose your second thought. So in a time of change where everything feels really overwhelming and stressful, you might want to feel really overwhelmed and your initial reaction is to feel that way. And then your second thought can be, okay, what's another way I can look at this? How overwhelmed am I getting by the circumstance or maybe things that happened in the past that are building on top of this? So I often like to help my clients in thinking, choose that second thought, right? That can help you into a more productive space, especially in leadership. It's maturity, right? That's maturity. It's, it's uh, slowing things down. And... Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. I, quickly, I can think of my own experience most recent times in as being a, whether in a fractional role or being a member of an executive leadership team and having a CEO or some other senior level executive say something that just like, it's a trigger. It's like, what, what are you talking about? What could you possibly be saying here? Right. We can't be thinking this way. And I'm a, a people meet me, I seem like a pretty even keel, but I'm a, I'm a pretty fiery, competitive guy. And I've had plenty of moments. I've still got the bite marks in my knuckles where I'm like, you know, with what, what? But I think it's a maturity thing, right? It's not productive to react quickly. And so how you show up matters for sure. You were also talking about before that, though, it was difficult to relinquish control, which, and I think you, the point you made, which I've seen just, to, to back it up is that is a hard thing for people when they, when they transition into sales leadership, but it's a hard thing for some people forever. They just can never give up control. They have to have their fingers. Remember the analogy, the, the story I was talking about the leader who that, that was, that was one of those circumstances. I'm like, just get out of the way, right? Let me, let yes. me do what I need to do. But what did you do about that? Like, what was the, what was the way you address that. How did you learn to give up relinquished control and in a, in a balanced, effective sort of way? I do think a lot of that was maturity as well. What I realized that I was trying to do was prove that the promotion was the right decision. And again, speak with a lot of first-time managers and they're always on this quest to prove that promoting them was the right choice. And I thought the best way to prove that I earned this promotion was to make sure we always hit goal no matter what, right? Even if I was getting on every single call and closing all of those deals with my reps and just doing everything for them, I thought if we were at the top of the leaderboard, that meant that promoting me was the right decision. And what I took a step back to realize was that's not doing anybody any favors because it's not scalable. 
It's not good for my own mental health, my own burnout, right? I'm going to lead to getting burned out so much faster than if I didn't do this. But more importantly, my reps aren't learning anything. My reps aren't growing. No one is actually, this us hitting goal is almost a facade, right? My team's not doing well. And so once I had that realization that it will actually look so much more impressive, it will be so much more of a validation that you should have promoted me. And that's the wrong language to have in your mind anyway, but so much more of a validation that you should have promoted me if my team can do it on their own, right? If I'm coaching their skills and I'm getting them spun out to be people who can just stand on their own two feet, that's so much more impressive than just hitting goal, you know, every quarter because you had to get your hands in every single deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's leading, right? I mean, that's, you know, your people are learning and developing and that's the evidence that you're leading. Look, the sales function is, is unique. It's definitely the most measured function in the organization. And so success for leaders maybe historically has been show us the numbers. But I think as we all are sort of evolving and developing our understanding of what good leadership looks like, you know, I think if you challenged a CEO or a, a chief sales officer and, and put examples up in front of them, and it was like, look, you know, which one of these is more successful? The team that hits its numbers, but is regularly turning people over and people don't seem to be getting any better. And a lot of people leave because they felt, because they know they haven't gotten any better. Or the team that still hits its numbers, but people are developing and growing, they're staying, and now we've got a bench. Like, which would you choose? They'd be like, oh, obviously, the one building the bench. Like, well, that's that's success done, right? So, you know, sometimes we have to help our executive leaders define success clearly and include development in that vision, right? 100%, because that's, you nailed it and, and took the words out of my mouth and that I don't think today leadership, especially sales leadership, can be viewed just as hitting the numbers. There's this whole other element, especially with working from home, that has taken such a toll on the sales teams where they are a social people by nature. They aren't learning from other people. They're not on the floor anymore. They can't turn to somebody when they got off a bad call and, and bounce back from that as quickly. And so to reduce that burnout, to keep that engagement high, to make people want to stay in this role and keep succeeding. So much of that now falls on the leadership to foster and to build those people um, in that environment. All right, let's shift gears. I've got a, a kind of a different sort of question because you learned a lot, you're developing and coaching and developing other people, but you've obviously had coaches and mentors and people you've looked up to over the years. Who would you say has had the most influence on your work as a leader? I would probably go back to one of my very first managers. It's funny. I wrote a I wrote a LinkedIn post about her a couple of months ago. But Molly Carr was one of the very first managers that I had when I moved into to leadership. And I was really trying to synthesize what it is about her that made me want to get to 150% even when I was at 120, right? Or pick that phone up one more time. What was it? I would run through walls for this woman. And what was it about her that made me want to do that? I bet you the next question, Matt, you're going to have is what made you, what was it about her? Well, 
you're, you're on to me. Yes. What was it about Molly Carr? It, yeah. Well, what was it about Molly Why Carr? Why did you want to run through uh, walls? Yeah. So I actually pulled up my LinkedIn post to see because I said, the two things, one, she genuinely cared, and two, she worked for us. We didn't work for her. The things that I wrote a couple of months back, but genuinely cared, had an invested interest in where I wanted to grow my career. We had fr frequent conversations about how I was going to get there. And then she advocated for me when those opportunities became available. And even still has just been such a cheerleader, such a, it, it's, Part of her being to be this person who really just wants to foster my success. Even in starting this business, she was one of the early people to reach out to me, has connected me to people in her network. I mean, we haven't worked together in 12 years, right? So it's just part of her innate nature. And the second piece of working for us, we didn't work for her. Earlier, I said the same thing, right? Of this servant mentality. I never felt like I wanted it more than Molly. Anything she asked of us, she was willing to do for herself. Nothing was above her. Nothing was below her. And she was just a servant leader through and through. I mean, even I go back to talking about that calmness that in stressful times, she exhibited that yeah. all the time, right? She was the person you could look to, the flight attendant. I always use that analogy as well of, you look to the flight attendants when there's turbulence. And if they're calm, everything's fine, right? Yeah. When they start freaking right. out, start freaking out. For sure. That's a good analogy. All right. Good. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a big open question that I ask people in the hopes that my other questions didn't necessarily grab every gem or every every nugget that you had in your brain about leading salespeople. And the question is, get ready for it. What else? What else? What else do you want to share? What else do you, you know, when you think about the people who are listening, what haven't we said yet that you think is really important for people to know? So I talk about, and I've said this a little bit woven in, right? This idea that you're not pushing people to do something in motivation, you're pulling them in inspiration. And how do you become what I deem as an inspirational leader? And the biggest trait in becoming an inspirational leader, actually Bain did research on this. It's 33 traits that they identified to become an inspirational leader. And centeredness was the one that stood out among all the others in your ability to inspire. And it goes back to this calmness, this secureness, confidence, groundedness, especially in stressful situations, that if you as a leader can maintain that calmness when things around you just seem to be falling apart. You will have the ability to inspire your teams tenfold over those who don't have that ability. And that was one of, I actually created a free resource for your audience on how do you become a more centered leader? And it's a step-by-step -step guide for your audience so that they can take a real hard look at their own leadership style and put some new practices, pathways into place to ultimately become a more centered leader. Great. Yeah. So if you, uh, listening to the show, we will have the link to this offer in our show notes, depending on which podcast platform you're using. 
And Alyssa, off the top of your head, do you, would you happen to know what that I URL is? You want to just say it right now and then people can jot it down. So Happy to. Yes, you can find that free resource at www.caslogroup.com slash divine comedy of sales. Wonderful. Love it. That's great. On behalf of those listening, thank you very much for putting that together for us. Quick question. Centeredness. Yes. Is that? I mean, so I I understand, I think I understand what it means. Is that the same as focus or is focus an element of centeredness? Tell, tell us a little bit more about what that. Yes. So focus is is different than centeredness. Uh, centeredness is more your, your strength in when things around you seem to be going wrong. And so you can maintain a sense of focus, I think, in good times and bad times. This is more about that okay, things seem to be falling apart. I'm still resolute in my direction, in my vision. I'm still standing strong. I have the ability to flex, but I'm not going to flex because others are influencing me to do so. I am standing strong and secure in my leadership style and also helping my direct reports, my teams, everybody else moves through these really stressful times. Understood. That's a great clarification. It really is about centeredness and how you carry yourself in those stressful situations, which which happen quite often in this role, right? So Well, and especially in today's environment, I think it's just constant stress and so many teams that I talk to. So having leaders who can lead through those times all of those leaders will, will rise to the top. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to look forward to looking at that resource you put together for the audience. And on behalf of everyone listening, Alyssa, thank you. This has been wonderful. It's been so great to uh, pick your brain about selling and leadership and uh, more than that. So I'm going to summarize in a moment all the great ideas and the things we heard from you. But before I go there, Thank you so much for being with us on the Divine Comedy of Sales. Why, thank you so much, Matt. It was really such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed that conversation with Alyssa. She said a bunch of things in this conversation, some of which line up exactly with some of the the ideas and themes we've heard from other leaders we've had on the show. But there were three things that she said that I thought were unique, particularly insightful. So I just want to play those back. And then challenge you to think about, well, how does how do these play out in my role as a leader? Or if you aspire to leadership, how would I apply those when I'm in a, uh, in a leadership role? So in no particular order, she talked about her journey going from, you know, seller, individual producer, or contributor to leader. And one of the things that she said, she had been a, a high performer. She said it was really difficult to relinquish control in the kind of early stages of her journey into leadership, something I can definitely relate to. And I think you as a listener, being in a leadership role, when you're making that transition, it really is hard to let go and let people try and fail and do. But it's clearly something Alyssa has worked through, right? She understands. And it's an important realization for everybody listening that there is that moment where you realize, for me to become a more effective leader to be better at this job, I do have to relinquish some degree of control. Harder for others um, than it is for me, perhaps, because I've always had a, an easy time sort of trusting and, and giving up. 
uh, controlled people on my teams, but a lesson learned. A few other things that she said, you know, how I show up as a leader matters. And it's critically important to maintain calm in stressful times. Being a sales leader means you're almost constantly in stressful times. Do we have periods of rest? Sure. But how we show up, especially in those times when the stress level is high, says a lot about who we are as leaders. And I think that was an important note from Alyssa. She said something else that I want, I'm saying it last, she said it kind of midway through our conversation today, but she said, leadership comes at the expense of one's own self-interest. I'll let that lay right there. Think about that, right? If you, if you have a very high self-interest and you demonstrate a high self-interest, I've talked about the impact that that has on the degree to which you're able to build trust with your team. So that connects directly with what Alyssa's saying here. Leadership comes at the expense of one's own self-interest, meaning you have to suspend your own self-interest to a large degree if you want to be an effective leader, not just an average to poor one. But great leaders do suspend their own self-interest. Wow, right? Great point. Such a great way of putting it. Leadership comes at the expense of one's own self-interest. So my challenge to you is, how can you demonstrate that, right? How can you demonstrate that, that interest in your team's agenda first? How can you put other people first in an overt sort of way in the way you do your job? That's what Alyssa does. That's what I do. So that's the challenge. Such a great conversation. In our next interview episode, we will feature, again, another great leader, and we're going to pull some lessons out of that leader's brain. In the meantime, I'm Matt McDarby, host and author of The Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Bye-bye for now. We'll see you soon.